The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Friday, January 21st, 2022. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young. We are officially into year two of the Biden administration, and apparently the administration wants a refund on year one, or at the very least, they want to reset Biden did a press conference on Wednesday, and there are rumors that things are going to be a little different going forward. What are those rumors? Oh, are they stupid? Spoiler alert, I I really hate one of the ideas. That's coming up. We also have this situation in, in the Senate, which is hopefully going to be close to resolved by the time that you hear this episode about voting rights and about the filibuster. And I, I just want to talk. I want to have a Kirsten Cinema conversation. So we're going to have a Kirsten Cinema conversation because I, I really don't know what the hell is happening. Like, I, I don't get the motivation to try and antagonize an incumbent Democratic senator in Arizona going into Rocky sees, you know, for, for, for the majority. I I just don't know what holding grudges like this when I, all right, anyway, we're going to talk about it. And finally, we see the return of one of the most controversial guests in the history of this podcast. And that is Brian Sack. It was many months ago that Brian Sack came on this show. He's been on before, but this last time he was on was something uh, something something to behold because he was very upset about a thing that was happening at his child's school. So I'm sure many of the parents that are listening uh, are are well aware of. There are a few things that will bring up the uh, the ire of somebody than uh, somebody believing that they are interfering with their kids' development. And a lot of the stuff that he said about how the school was handling the education of the students, things that uh, I believe that we titled diversity interventionalism has kind of fallen under the larger idea of critical race theory were uh, things that we got a lot of email about. And I, I suspect we'll probably get a lot of feedback on this interview as well. In the intervening months, though, we saw some of the public opinion or at least the political reality of these issues and education at, at the top of the list very much make themselves known, including in Virginia where Glenn Youngkin was able to pull the upset. So Brian Sack is back and we will talk about whether or not he feels vindicated <laughs> and, and, and all things education and diversity 
interventionalism related. All that. But first. As we enter year two of the Biden administration, things are bad. <laughs> you know, very bad. Bad. B-A-D, bad. Stinky. P-U. Gross. Bad. A new Gallup poll puts his approval rating at 40%, the lowest that they've ever tracked it. Since the beginning of his term, he's lost 15% support amongst Democrats, and he's lost half of his support with both independents and Republicans. And by the way, the news only gets worse when you talk about a morning consult poll. 68% of voters say that they believe the country is on the wrong track. 40% of voters approve of the job that Biden is doing as president, matching the bad Gallup number. Republicans in Congress are favored over Democrats in, in their handling of the economy, jobs, immigration, national security, and gun policy. Democrats do lead on a few uh, issues that are key to them, but their margins are tight on education. They only lead Republicans by three percentage points on the pandemic, four percentage points and on voting rights, on voting rights, a position that Joe Biden drew a very stark, literally black and white line on one week ago. Nationally. People only trust Democrats over Republicans on voting rights by four percent. But that isn't the end of the bad news. No, people just don't seem to like Biden. Here are a list of things that respondents of this morning consult poll disagreed on. So they do not believe that these things are true. They disagreed that Biden is energetic. They disagreed that Biden is a strong leader. They disagreed that Biden is a clear communicator. They disagreed that Biden keeps his promises and they disagreed that Biden is capable of leading the country. 49% of respondents disagreed that Biden is mentally fit. 49% of respondents disagree that Biden is mentally fit. When asked what grade they would give Biden a year into his term, 37% of registered voters said F. So obviously, (laughs) when I say bad, That's what I mean. So, reports have come out that things are going to be a little bit different in year two. They've got two different strategies. First, go directly to the people. This would presumably mean more press conferences or scrums, more interviews with media outlets, and that would mean more interviews beyond the hand-selected George Stephanopoulos' of the world. Second. No more legislative negotiating in public. Biden can henceforth not be seen as the, quote, 
legislator, and chief. Let's take these one at a time. I find the first idea very risky, and the second a possible sign that everybody around Joe Biden needs to be fired. Seriously. Let's get to the first one first. You want to make Biden do more press. Okay, you want to make him more of a presence in the lives of voters. Let's go all the way back to the campaign. It seemed like they didn't want to do that before. They used the pandemic as cover to hide a Biden. This is something that I talked a lot about during the campaign. They did not put him out there. They felt that a little dab will do you when it comes to old Joe. Now, because that hasn't seemed to work very well a year into the administration, the idea is to go the opposite way. Let's make him more of a part of people's life. To which I would ask this question. Are you aware that Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. is the president? The guy who's famous for gaffes when he was young. The guy who, during his big speech on voting rights, said he was arrested for civil rights demonstrating when he, to our knowledge, was not ever. And by the way, that happened last week. The idea that more Joe is the way to go is, I think, a little bit dubious. Well, let me put it this way. I think dramatically more Joe Biden is a bad idea. But I am on board with more of a moderate increase. Now, this is a high-risk, high-reward strategy, in my opinion, but if you do press conferences once a month, and it doesn't have to be a big thing, he can just show up at at the uh, uh, press secretary panel every once in a while, maybe a, a press scrum. You can alternate between print and TV interviews so people can generally see kind of the, the the humanity of Joe Biden. I think that's a good idea. Look, Joe Biden is a likable guy. The problem that we've seen is that his priorities one year in have not been particularly popular. The methods by which he's done it have been divisive. And also things are going bad. There's a disconnect between what people care about and what Joe Biden is talking about. There's only so many times when people are talking about supply chain issues impacting inflation that the answer out of everybody from the administration's mouth is, and that's why we need to pass Build Back Better. You've got to be more on point with this stuff. So, yes, if Joe Biden is talking to the press more about things that people actually care about. I think that the strategy can work. It's the second strategy that has me befuddled. The distancing of legislator and chief. Legislator-in-chief. You want to know what? Joe Biden should be the legislator-in-chief. Why? Because Joe Biden spent nearly his entire life as a senator. This is what defines him. It's what makes him special. 
And if he can't get that right, it will poison every other element of his presidency. Think of it like this. If we had a ex-military president, would you find it curious if the Pentagon hated him and our armed forces were a total mess? When we have ex-governor presidents, they are often defined by their leadership, by their executive actions, because that's what you have to do when you're the governor. If you are out of the Senate, you tend to be defined on the things that you can get done in the Senate. LBJ, Obama. These are people for whom are, you know, you, you know what's going on and nobody knows what's going on since Lyndon Baines Johnson more than Joe Biden. If you don't make that a strength, then the appendages for which you are not naturally gifted in will wither. Joe Biden does not need to run from being a legislator. He needs to tame the Senate and the House. He needs to get wins. It's who he is. If you want to talk about messaging and boy howdy do the democrats and the biden administration want you to believe that it's the media that hasn't talked enough about the wins that joe biden has gotten well guess what they had a win with the infrastructure bill out of the senate bipartisan exactly the thing that he promised america he would do when he got elected lowering the temperature look government can still work what did they do went three months talking about how this wasn't going to happen in the House because it wasn't happening exactly the way that people within the Democratic Party wanted it to happen. So people within Joe Biden's own party talked about how the infrastructure bill was not enough. It was bad. It needs to be taped onto other things to actually be effective. And by the time that that was revealed to be a failed strategy, the party was essentially over. You can't then come back and say, but also, everybody, let's get excited. Get wins and celebrate them. Joe Biden needs to get control of his party. If that were the case, I think you would see a better idea from the national perspective on the job that he is doing. Regardless. This year, calendar year of 2022, may well be the darkest of the Biden term. And that's partially not him. That's just what happens. You know, you get elected and then you usually face a backlash in the midterms. He's going to take a beating. He's probably almost assuredly going to lose the House. It looks more and more likely that he will lose the Senate. He might have to get used to approval ratings in that low 40, high 30s range. He may even have to deal with calls for him to step aside. However, should he survive it, he will be able to move into 2023 as an underdog with hopefully lowered inflation and a greater understanding of COVID as an endemic disease and something that he will think be thought of less as a wartime commander on. But 
And I mean this as a Sir Mix-a-Lot sized big butt. He will only be able to capitalize if the year he spends now is competent. If his leadership is sharper. Because if we get another year in year two like year one, I think, and you guys know that I'm not, I'm not the hyperbole guy. I'm not the hot take guy. But if he's got another year in front of him like the one he has behind him, I genuinely wonder if there's any coming back. The reason why Joe Biden wants to run away from being legislator in chief is because things have not gone well in terms of the legislating. Amongst the Democratic Party, one of the big reasons why things have not gone so well is Kirsten Cinema. Kirsten Cinema, the freshman senator from Arizona, is seen as short-circuiting and destroying Joe Biden's priorities. Now, let's not mention the fact that it was her initiative, along with Rob Portman, that got his infrastructure bill through on a bipartisan level. The knives are out. This week, Chuck Schumer was noncommittal when asked if he would support a primary challenger to cinema in 24. Bernie Sanders is far less shy, saying he definitely will. So here's my question. If you believe that as a Democrat, holding a majority in the Senate is important, if you believe that the issues you are identifying with are so important that you need a legislative majority in the Senate so you might pass them, what on earth is the point of attacking Kirsten Sinema? Arizona is not New York. Arizona is not Vermont. It is not a safe blue state where you have the luxury of wasting the power of incumbency to install somebody you hope will be more compliant. If you get a blue senator in a purple state, the hope is that you keep that senator there so you have the raw vote count. Because you're not even guaranteed that if you put somebody else in that position, that the pressures of representing a purple state will translate to the kinder, gentler Arizona Democratic senator that you so covet. Now, I've been pretty chesty on this podcast and on other platforms about how confident I am that Kirsten Sinema will win re-election in 2024. But... For those new to the program, let's lay it out. First, let's steal man. Here's the case against her. By joining Joe Manchin in the reluctance to pass the Build Back Better bill and now amend filibusters for the voting rights bills, cinema has raised tremendous anger amongst Arizona Democrats. In a hypothetical primary matchup, cinema trails Ruben Gallego 40, uh, 24% to 47%. She trails Representative Greg Stanton by a similar margin, and she trails the state superintendent of public instruction, Kathy Hoffman, by 20 points. However, those numbers are from October of 2021. 
Cinema will not have to face a primary challenger until 2024. The strongest, or at least highest profile amongst those candidates, is Gallego. And while the congressman representing Phoenix is a formidable challenger, it's far from a slam dunk. First, Gallego would have to run to the left of Kirsten Cinema, considering the tenor of Arizona in general. He would need to have almost lockstep support from progressives to unseat the bisexual triathlete Cinema running for her sophomore term, and also hope that moderate Democrats are still mad about her antics. But will they? Let's say that the Republicans take the Senate back in 2024, including defeating Mark Kelly of Arizona. Let's say that now there is a real chance that Arizona can go from a state with two blue senators to two red senators. How excited are those moderates going to be to try and risk it? To try and get somebody out that is fairly popular in the general and would almost certainly win re-election. How lucky or angry will they feel then? Furthermore, in 2024, and let's imagine that the, that, that the Republicans do have the Senate at this point, how bad will her stance on the filibuster look? Follow me here. Sure. Everybody wants her to amend, every Democrat wants her, or is, that's upset with her, wants her to amend the filibuster now when they have the conch. They're able to push forward things that they really, 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 really want. That's the reason why she's getting dumped on. But if the shoe is on the other foot and the Republicans have control of the Senate, and cinema is able to go to cities around Arizona and say, if my opponent was in the Senate, Mitch McConnell would be able to pass a nationwide heartbeat bill gutting Roe versus Wade today. Do you think that'd play? Do you think blindly charging in to amend the filibuster is something? that will remain as popular in 2024 if it is cocaine Mitch in charge. So let's spell this out. If you want cinema out by any means necessary, you're going to spend Democratic resources to either damage or knock out an incumbent who by and large votes party line. And has not and uh, and has created a bipartisan image in a purple state, which would make her nearly unbeatable in general elections because you're mad that she didn't go along with two doomed overreaches. A reminder, if she were lockstep with all of this, none of them would have happened either. Because Joe Manchin still exists. Like, like it's not like she was the only person holding it up. There were other people that were doing it too. So let's say she played exactly the way you wanted to play. Nothing materially changes. But because she did, 
She needs to go. You know what would be easier? Understand that you overreached on a 50-50 Senate. Stop talking about people in your own party as the enemy and try to pass things that highlight the values of your party while you still have the chance. On Meet the Press this week, James Carville had this line. Those are, those are real accomplishments. And it's something that you can run on. And, you, and again, you don't talk about what you didn't get. That, that's mm-hmm. what these Democrats whine too much, Chuck. <laughs> Just quit being a whiny party and get out there and, and fight and tell people what you did and tell people the exact truth. The Republican Party stands for nothing other than let's relitigate the 2020 election or let's get back at Jamie Raskin. That's it. That's the entire platform. Going after Kirsten Cinema is the definition of crying over spilt milk. If the party wants to join Joe Biden in resetting, then looking forward and not backward is in their best interest. And I would define forward by the absence of picking on vulnerable members of your party for fundraising and Twitter clout purposes. Ladies and gentlemen, this show has currently no advertising. This show is funded entirely, entirely by you, you, the listener. Now, you guys support this show in so many different ways. You support it by sharing it on social media. You support it by sending me emails uh, and joining our Discord, bit.ly slash jury discord, J-U-R-Y-D-I-S-C-O-R-D. You, you support it by watching our live streams. You support it by buying our merch. But the bedrock, the way that I know I can plan out travel, the way that I know that I can you know, count on this as a living is the subscription service, is the Patreon. That is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That that James Carville whiny party uh, uh, clip, that was first heard on the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show when he said it last Sunday. That is a Rosetta Stone of what DC media and insiders believe that we are going to see over the next week. Those Sunday shows are by and large really useless, unless you look at it like the way I try to look at it. And that's picking out what they're saying and why they're saying it. Because often, these it's a little kabuki theater. They know what they're going to be asked. They know the points of views that they're going to be pushing. So if you look at it from a meta perspective, and that's really what we try to do, then... It's I, I think I think I think it's worthwhile. If you've never listened to it, I would suggest you join at the three dollar level. If you got a little extra scratch, just give it a whirl. Meanwhile, this is one of those episodes where Thursday there's gonna be a lot more breakdown of Joe Biden's speech that happened on on Wednesday than there normally is. This was more of a meta look at year two for Joe Biden, but Because of how we have to record these episodes, Thursday is actually the latest news that we cover. So, if you want the perfect way to begin your week politically in a way that is sane, 
and grounded so you know the actual conversations being happened. And then you want my latest takes of the week. There's only one way to go and get it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign at the $3 level. Anything above that, you also get those bonus podcasts along with extra stuff. Also, one correction. Andrew Eaton does have a new book out. It is a collection of short stories. You can go get it at MightyHeaton.com slash books. However, I refer to it as appropriately human on the Wednesday episode. It is inappropriately human. That is the, uh, that is the title. So go get inappropriately human by Andrew Heaton. It's hilarious. Highly, highly, highly recommend. Okay. Thank you. Take politics When I first interviewed Brian Sack about his child situation at a private school in the Northeast, and the fact that he was very, very mad about what he, other parents, and a recently a deposed teacher said was a tyranny of quote unquote experts that were creating a chilling effect for learning by way of instilling a diversity mandated philosophy, wherein there are permanent oppressor and oppressed classes. I knew it would be something that people would react to. At that time, critical race theory was largely something that was confined to conservative media. And being somebody that does not have a child, I am somewhat removed from it. I I tend to be reliant on those around me that have more direct knowledge of stuff like this. I really have only my own remembrances of what school was like back when I was there to kind of give me a frame of reference. What we got was an avalanche. And what has happened since is undeniable. Education and the machinations of school boards and school administrations, when it comes to how they are handling issues of diversity, is relevant. I don't believe that Glenn Youngkin wins that upset in Virginia if he does not remodel his campaign on one of education. We have seen big, big, big political strides happening since by Republican candidates from Ron DeSantis on down. And so it is with that that we can only welcome back the co-host of Questionable Material with Jack and Brian, Brian Sack. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Thank you for having me, Justin. The last time that we had you on. Yes. Uh, in in a very special episode of politics, 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 because I was I was initially when we did the interview expecting because whenever we have talked either either in email or or you know on the show, it's always you're a very funny guy and and that's always been there. It was not very funny the last time we talked because you were talking about a very personal subject, uh, specifically the education of your son and what was going on at his school. It was a, a, a an episode that got me. A ton of email, like maybe the most email that I've gotten on 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 a really? single episode, really, because uh, it was a a you know, I think at the time, 
it, yes. it felt like it was something that was uh, uh, outside of the mainstream. And maybe maybe there were uh, uh, certainly a sentiment to some of the listeners of, oh, OK, here's a, 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 a dad who sent his kid to a private school that has complaints, blah, blah, blah. What My, have, I suck. I'm the worst. Well, I mean, certainly an at, opinion. Least, at least for people who wanted to dismiss you, that was an sure. off ramp to do it. Of uh, course. What we've seen since then yes, sir. is a, a mainstreaming of this idea, uh, largely because of the upset in Virginia where uh, uh, Glenn Youngkin was the, the victor. And, and look, when I'm sitting in a freezing field in Leesburg, <laughs> Virginia, uh, where with only my yuppie ass running shoes on because I forgot that it's cold uh, at that time of year. And I'm watching <laughs> a crowd that is getting an applause line for Youngkin trashing uh, the head of the teachers union. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know that education is not just an issue, not just an issue that I think was relevant in that election, but I believe it's an issue that is going to be relevant throughout the midterms writ large and maybe even beyond that. So my question to you is, do you feel vindicated as the silver <laughs> surfer for heralding the Galactus that was, was this debate? I was just going to ask you, ask me if I feel vindicated. Yeah, yeah, I do feel vindicated. I feel like, um, yeah, I was right. And all my detractors are wrong. <laughs> um, no, I, I, you know, this is clearly an issue uh, that resonates with parents. Uh, I don't, you know, I think it's harder to understand if you don't have kids. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, I just got a dog a year ago and I was never a dog person. I never understood people who talked to their dogs or who, you know, put all these painful photos when their dog died on, on social media. And now I get it. Yeah. It's the same yeah. with kids. If you don't have kids, it's really hard to comprehend. Uh, what is going on and the sentiment, but like with, with any kind of bear, if you get close to the cubs, they're going to come after you. I mean, yeah. they, they might, they'll stay away from you unless you're threatening their kids. And that's when they activate. And is, is there, I mean, obviously beyond your parent circles, you were certainly plugged in more to the larger conversation and, and media dialogue and stuff like that. Is there a sense from your vantage point in that way that this has become more of a widespread issue as opposed to just uh, a, a parents talking to each other? Yeah, I think so, because I think it's you kind of see this kind of filtering into everything, this kind of this ideology of race and gender. I mean, now it's coming out that there are preferences for, you know, for covid vaccines or treatments of, based on race. Things like that are starting to trickle out. And, you know, a lot of people oh, don't this, like this. That. One, this was the, 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 the New York thing. Yeah. Where, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Where it yeah. was it was prioritized based on race. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, sir, step to the back of the line and you come on up for it. You know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I think it is starting to uh, more people are starting to see it for what it is and understand that something is amiss. So that's interesting that you said that it was trickling into more stuff, because from from my perspective, this has been a conversation that largely to me and this is where we, I think, get into the kind of parallel thinking of this issue that like. There is it's a lot in the same way that like Black Lives Matter for one group means a specific organization that has founders and ha and those founders have beliefs and a history and they take right. money from Nike and and yep. and do this kind of stuff. 
to a whole nother group, Black Lives Matter is a general idea for which yeah, only the it, most stone-hearted racists right. could ever uh, say like, anything yeah. about, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a good sentiment. It's the sentiment, right? Yes. If you have, you know, I love puppies, sounds like a great movement. But if you look into the management, you're not really crazy about it. But then you say, well, I don't really like I love puppies that much for this. Then it's like you're the guy who doesn't love puppies. Exactly. No, but but I love puppies. LLC right. is actually a group for which you know the 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 owners have you know yeah. uh, they're, they're running a, a Ponzi scheme that that conned my yes. grandma out of her retirement or something. Oh, it's it's certainly lucrative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but but the, w- one of the things that I think has has kind of allowed for a divergent thinking on whatever we want to call this. I think, I think we called it in, in our initial uh, 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 conversation, like a like diversity interventionism. Uh, yeah. Which I think is really funny. Yeah. That like, there is a conversation about where we are in terms of race and class and right. what affects society, what affects a human at what point uh, in development, this is a hardened situation. How much is nature, uh, uh, you know, versus the the nurture that that society has has given us based on various prejudices, and then there's the implementation of corrective action of right. these ideas. And I think what a lot of at least in 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 the dialogue that I've processed through listeners of the show or or following the larger conversation is, I kind of feel like. When you're talking about this stuff, you're talking about very specific things that right. have happened in your child's school. It is, it yeah. is sure, informed by a larger conversation, but it's not about the larger conversation. It's about a thing that happened to your child where the larger conversation, I think, is something that should always go on forever. And we should talk sure. about it a lot because that's yep. literally the fabric of society. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, so for, for you, is there a frustration there? Have you, have you found that, that, that it is, uh, uh, that, that it's, that it's hard to kind of identify these things or, or have you found any ways to kind of, uh, uh, uh you know, talk about one without the other? I mean, well, I, you know, the, what's happening is parents are hearing individual stories from their various schools. Yeah. And their kids are coming home and telling them things. And the parents are saying, what, you know, are you joking? Like, you know, um, was, you know I just, I, I've talked to a bunch of different parents and that, and that's the thing, you know, everything's very balkanized. Okay. All this, all the different schools, you know, they have their you know, parents who are like upset about what's going on. They, they don't know who to talk to and what to do. Um, and you know, what they're trying desperately to do is to organize so that they can kind of, you know, discuss what's going on in their schools and, and show you the homework that their kid was given, uh, that, you know, is political in nature, like a political math question or a political history question. Uh, and, uh, they're, um, I guess I'm losing my train of thought. They, what was your question? <laughs> so my, 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 I, I, I'm going to follow your thread because I yeah. think it's more interesting than what my question was, which is, uh, uh, so you have all these parents that are, that are balkanized, right. uh, uh yes. they are finding each other. So I'm going to follow up on that and ask okay. you this because sorry, finish, finish your thought and then I have a follow up. Well, I'm trying, you know, so I got invited to uh, a group, uh, like a meeting of parents yeah, and, and fat and also faculty members from various schools in the, in the city. And it was held in somebody's house and we, and it, it had a very underground feel to it. Like it kind of felt like we were in the Soviet union and we were the dissidents and, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and you're talking to different parents and, oh, what, you know, why are you here? Well, you know, they they pulled my son in 
and asked him what his pronouns were. And he said, well, obviously, you know, they're he, you know, I'm a he, how do you know? How do you know? And that, you know, this kind of stuff, like, yeah. you know, just above and beyond. I, this is, you know, it's going too far and it's happening all over the place. Um, you know, it, there was a, a whistleblower came forward in my kid's school and, and, and made a, a ton of allegations that never got addressed uh, that were, you know, very you know, books being dropped from the curriculum. Uh, to kill yeah, a mockingbird. Yeah, this was the teacher that we talked about in in, yeah, in yeah. the first interview. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah. so and this is happening. You know, these, uh, you know, Paul Rossi, who was a was a professor at Grace Church School, a teacher there. I mean, he stepped forward very publicly last year and uh, and said he can no longer do what the school is asking him to do because it's hurting the children. And and this is a theme that is recurring all over the place. So. And I think we're going to have uh, 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 Mr. Rossi on because I, I have I have I have some conversations. If you haven't read his his uh, uh, he did a thing on Barry Weiss's Substack that that right. I think uh, is is well worth reading. And what I've always said, especially about this issue, and now that it actually played out in in politics, then, then right. now folks add it to your required reading list that you need to understand the vectors of this issue. If you if you you know uh, subscribe to this podcast to know how things are going to play out, you have to know what is happening. Uh, right. But but I would say his stuff is is very interesting. But let me ask you this, because in yeah. Virginia, Loudoun County was where one of the most the 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 big uh, uh, flashpoint, some might say even, you know, probably turn that election happened where a incident was buried because it involved a non-binary or transgender student. I can't I don't know exactly where on. Uh, the, he's tra- yeah, in, transgender. In yeah. 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 I, yeah. It's hard to keep track. Uh, who just got. uh I mean, the, the, his, he was just analyzed by a psychiatrist and said he's incredibly damaged. I, I don't doubt it, considering yeah. the fact yeah. that, he, that a very, right. very ugly sexual violence right. act happened in this one school. He then gets moved to another school. It happens again. They part of the reason the why, yeah, this was not yeah. addressed in the way that any other violence in, in a school would be addressed. And like, look. I went to a public high school in South Florida that wasn't exactly the nicest place on the planet. Right. I don't remember a ton of rapes. Like, yeah. you know, there, there was violence. There was people, kids had guns, certainly a ton of drugs, stuff like that. That's rare. Like, you know, if, if right. a rape happened, it would have been a larger, it would have been a very big story. If it happened on campus in the way that this one did, it was swept under the rug. But one of the things that was fascinating to me about that story was beyond that, there was revealed to be an enemies list being compiled by members of the school board right. to find out presumably who are the parents that are not, you know, on board with, right. with this kind of stuff. Would you say from your perspective that this is a common or uncommon thing? Was this a, a, a further, you know, beyond the pale or are elements like this at play from your perspective? You know, I don't know. And I think part of the problem is because parents are, are no are not currently able to to really network with one another. Um, yeah. You know, I know I, I know from you know going to this group meeting of parent concerned parents in this uh, in New York and and talking with these different parents from different schools and also teachers from a variety of schools who are saying, like, listen, here's what's going on. I'm not happy with it. I've you know, I've tried to address it with the administration. They won't hear from me. Um, but everybody has individual stories. Um, and you know, they're, they're very concerning and yeah. I mean, it all comes down to an ideology that is being pushed and to question it is heresy. I mean, it's almost the people pushing it are, are very religious in nature. Yeah. And then I, I think you have these, these school administrations that are kind of, you know, there's a couple of things. One, they're scared 
because they don't want to try to counter it because yeah. of a school administration. Well, hold on with the anti-racism. Like that, that just sounds terrible. But, yeah. you know, when you when you actually look at what this is about, what the core of what they're teaching and, and how it's in uh, getting into the different you know areas of school, you know, math, English, I mean, you start to understand, OK, no, this isn't right. This is this is a very political ideology uh, and nobody's allowed to question it. And you're right. Sneeze. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. I was trying <laughs> to okay. very quietly sneeze, uh, uh, so it didn't disrupt the interview, and I failed oh, on every level, including <laughs> including successfully sneezing. I thought uh, you were talking into your elbow microphone. Uh, no. So you know, it's um. Uh, now I've now I've lost my train of thought. There we go. There we go. Oh, That's fine. Uh, 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 you know the the thing that politically I think is a really losing position for uh, this school of thought the, the 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 you know diversity interventionalist idea uh is that it's very specific so when when i'm watching glenn youngkin talk he's able to take positions that republicans traditionally aren't like he gets up on stage or on on stage and says we need to teach all of history right okay all right and then, that's a lot and, and then he's like and also we need to make sure that we're not browbeating our kids. And it's like, okay, he's only able to do that because the the solution that is being subscribed to on the other side is very narrow. Like right. it is it is a very specific, we need to do X, Y, and Z. There are uh, oppressors and oppressed classes. And this right. is, don't worry, guys, we've found the solution. You better be very, very sure that that is a popular solution if, if that is going to be a political position for which you are going to fight on. In my lifetime, the the divide between Republican and Democratic parties has traditionally been school choice versus public schools, yeah. you know, uh, 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 private schools and charter schools and, uh, uh, you know, being able to take your chunk of public funding and put it somewhere else if you, if, if you would like to. That's always been the divide. When I'm watching Glenn Youngkin talk, he's like, not only do I want more school choice, I want to pay teachers more than they've ever been paid before sure. in, 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 in public school. And it's allowed, it's not look at, looked at as hypocrisy or a change in, in position A, because Glenn Youngkin's never run for office before, so he gets a little bit of a, a wild card kind of rule on that. But secondly, because the idea of we need to pay the teachers, we need to do X, Y, and Z, we need to take care of the kids, is kind of superseded by the idea of we need to correct racism. And yeah. not only do I think that is that good luck if that's your goal, like, you know, we've been right. trying to work on that for a long time. It doesn't it seem was, like an was, overnight it, solution. It sure felt like it was getting pretty good. And then, <laughs> but to, to listen to these people, it's, it's as if nothing has changed ever, you know, for 200 something <laughs> years. And it's just, it's such a misanthropic view of, of history and of America in general and the, the American project and Western society. I mean, it, it, this stuff is really toxic in many ways. And I think that's what people are reacting to. All right. So here's, here's my next question. I've seen this float around that part of the reason why this blew up in the way that it blew up over the last two years is because of the pandemic and remote learning that all of a sudden kids were spending a lot more time with their parents during the day and parents were able to walk by their, their kid's room and see on zoom 
what exactly the lesson was going to be. Or maybe a kid who's frustrated normally would just be kicking his locker because something happened or talking to his friends now can come downstairs and the whole family is talking about it. Do you, do you think that that's part of the, the reason why it, it kind of uh, broke out, broke containment? Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that. And um, I would agree. I, I've heard people who tell me that, you know, they, they had overheard stuff that kind of raised eyebrows and, and made them want to pay more attention to what was going on in the kids' classroom. Um, I'm trying to think of spe- specific instances. Uh, I'm drawing a blank now. Uh, I need Adderall or something. <laughs> <laughs> Never took it. Um, well, now yeah, you're going to be the poster boy. Huh? For Adderall? <laughs> that, yeah, there you go. Yeah, just, yeah, just sponsor in case. My, if, if, come sponsor if, if, if my you podcast. you don't want to lose your train of thought. <laughs> um, yeah, um, to answer that question, yeah, yeah, I do I do think it helped because parents became more aware of what was going on in the classroom. I think normally they send their kid off to school, the kid comes back and may or may not talk to them. I know teenagers don't say anything, yeah. tend to not to. Uh, but in this case, yeah, they you know kids are in the same room as the teacher. And, you know, it's... Um, I do think that has helped a lot. I think that partly the other reason why I thought Glenn Youngkin kind of won in Virginia was because there's, I mean, society, people have complaints, right? Over the last few years, not everything has been going particularly well. A lot of things have been different from the way that they've been handled before. We've seen tremendous upheaval. Thankfully, uh, you know, there have been some jobs that have been very, very safe. I'm very thankful to have one of those jobs. Turns out uh, barfing into a microphone and posting it on the internet turns out to be recession proof or at very least pandemic proof. Uh, Many other people have had tremendous disruptions in their lives uh, uh, for a variety of different reasons. But when it comes to school specifically, there's a lot of reasons why people are upset. And if somebody walks in, what I was joking with 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 Yunkin is if if somebody walks in and says, F the school board. Yeah. Nine people might stand up and start clapping, not knowing any reason why the other eight people are standing up and clapping. Like there's just a lot be it (laughs) mask mandates or school closures or uh, schools opening up too fast, schools opening up too slow uh, or the things that you are talking about. There's a lot of consternation, which I think kind of is gasoline that feeds every version of this fire. Yeah. Yeah. I would not want to be in a school board. (laughs) <laughs> it just, seems like a pretty crap job. I mean, it's yeah. like it's like a flight attendant, school board member. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know which other, you know, uh, profession that has seen a 400 percent increase in getting punched uh, over vac- the last vaccine three years. Passport enforcer. Oh, geez. Yeah. God. I mean, uh, 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 this is they, they, they deserve a, a break today. Uh, you feel whoever, terrible. Whoever you does that. I, I, I walked into an ice cream store and there's a sign like, please don't yell at our teenage staff. You know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, yeah, vaccines, you, you know, and, and even down here in Austin, uh, there have been, you know, signs everywhere that are like, hey, service is slow. If you would like it to be less slow, please email this person because we're hiring. And that's okay. why it's slow. Like, like yeah. it is. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, and, and I think part of it is, you know, 
I w- I used to be a waiter. Uh, it was cool because it in my you know teens and early twenties, I got a bunch of cash that I would immediately blow at a bar after my shift. But like, yep. uh, uh, beyond that, it wasn't exactly easy work, and it's a lot less of a fun bargain if people are going to be arguing with, with you about stuff or or you know giving you COVID, which you're gonna get yep. because you're in the service industry job. Yeah, no. If you're the one waiter working in the restaurant, like uh, you know, I was, at a, yeah. I was a wait, I, I was a waiter as well, and I, I was in a restaurant last week, and I felt bad for the waiter because it was one of them, and you know, yeah. clearly in in the weeds, as we used to say in the yep. Uh, yep. in the lingo, and uh, I felt you know you, you could tell very flustered and very kind of you know, apologetic, and I was just very pleasant and tipped twenty five percent. Oh yeah, over tip. This is this is a new. This is a mandate for everybody. Yes. Uh, if especially, I'm talking to every one of you engineers, every one of you office workers that just you know seamlessly bumped on over to Slack and Zoom. Uh, yeah. uh, you are you are blessed. Please please break off the random. Just if 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 you have cash, throw that extra twenty on top. Even if you tipped on the credit card, just yeah. just uh, uh, give your own private stimulus to uh, to 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 any service worker because uh, they exactly. are. I mean, I don't know if there's anyone, if you sit down and talk to a bartender, they've all gotten COVID and they've probably gotten it multiple times. Like it yeah. is, it is rough out there. Yeah, no, it's terrible. Uh, all right. So as, as far as this, uh, uh, I think the only other note that I had on, on the school stuff is I, I feel like it's largely, this is partly what I want to talk to, to Rossi about is mm-hmm. I think that this is also an outgrowth of consultant culture. Oh, that, absolutely. It's a huge industry. The yes. DEI industry. Absolutely. That like, uh, uh, and, and, and I think that that's just a, a, a part of a larger idea that there is this capitulation of leadership where like, if in anything, and this doesn't have to be about the schools or, or this a specific issue, but obviously race and gender comes up a lot when you talk about it, when it's like, okay, we have a problem. Okay. Let's say tech company, they uh, have less women working there than men. And so we want to get to some basic level of of metrics as to show that there is, I guess, a, an elimination of internal bias on, on men versus women. Okay. So either you try to handle that internally right. or you because maybe you're not the leader that you should be, or your staff is upset about things, or we're just living in a society where we never trust the authority figure. The solution tends to be, okay, we're going to hire a consultant. Right. And that person is going to be an expert. And that person it's on their website. It says expert. It says, uh, look at these other companies that they've worked for, these similar organizations that they've helped. And they are going to bring you through. Step one, two, three. Uh, what I would say to that is I have been around not only organizations that I've worked in that did corporate team building and effectively were consulting for you know various different learned lessons, but I've been around people who like worked at McKinsey, which is the the number one consulting company in the world. And I will tell you this, overrated. Like they, they, it yeah. is, it is not a miracle solution. It is not yeah. a regiment and a pill that will make you better. But th- there is this idea that if I hire somebody who says I will make you better at X, then you will get result Y. And anybody who's bought that 10 pack on a personal trainer and we're still 20 pounds overweight by the end of those 10 sessions knows that's not always the case. 
Right. I mean, but the, the also the incentives are there for me to find problems. So if I yes. if I go, I go to college and I get a, do, a, a nonsense doctorate in some humanities field. And then I go, I'm do, now I'm Dr. Brian Sack and I'm I'm Dr. Brian Sack, uh, anti-racism fighters, LLC. And then you yeah. hire me to fix the problem. Well, of course, I'm going to find problems in your firm because yes. that gives me, I'm going to get paid more money because I'm going to help you fix those. But, well, you, I certainly see problems. Now you need to have workshops. And these workshops are, are going to help solve your problem. You know, when in fact, all they do is exacerbate things because now they make everybody completely uh, conscious about every aspect of race and gender and everything they say. And they're second guessing. There was a there was a podcast I was listening to uh, a while back and, and it, they were talking about these workshops. And, and this girl, you know, went into the workshop with a, you know, uh, wide mind, open mind, just like, yeah, this sounds like a great. And by the end, she was traumatized. She she felt she was like, oh, I, you know, I told a, a black colleague he looked good in a suit. Is that racism? And it's just like, you know, yeah. you're ruining people's brains. But that's the kind of stuff that is now going on, you know, in K-12. Yeah. And so if, if you're screwing up somebody in their 20s or 30s and, and making them you know feel bad about saying somebody looked nice in a suit, imagine what's going on to ki- the K-12 kids. Who don't know that, they they don't have their north and south pole yet. Like they're no. they're they're trying to figure out nap time. Uh, yeah. uh, let alone the the complex world of uh, uh, societal uh, back and forths and 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 social horse trading and and, and whatnot. Yeah, an, an eighth grader classmate of my son uh, told told him that that black people could not be racist. She learned that at school, <laughs> and that's just not a thing they should be learning. Everybody can be racist, you know, it, it, every, you know, everyone can be good. Everyone, but like, the, this is the stuff that, that parents are saying, you know, this is why Virginia, I think went. Yeah. And, and I was watching to see, you know, if, if uh, the folks on the left learned their lesson from that and, you know, and like, okay, maybe, maybe there's something going on in the schools. And I didn't get a sense they did. It seemed like the usual characters on MSNBC were blaming racism. You know, the, the Yunkin one because of racism. And it's just like, oh, man. Well, yeah, I mean, and and I, I think that I, I, I try not to blame all liberals for MSNBC in the same way right. that I try no, to no, blame. No, I don't blame all yeah. conservatives for Fox News. They they are television right. networks that are trying to sell soap in between uh, and, uh, content blocks. But I mean, like, it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's entertainment. It's not news. And I wish yeah, more people would news. realize no, that. It is news flavored entertainment. And, and that yes. is. Uh, uh, I would go so far as to say that's, you know, always been the case with all television. Walter Cronkite was news flavored entertainment. Uh, uh, If you really want to know things, you should probably read more than one source. Uh, I'm biased toward reading, but watch at the very least. uh, uh, There's 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 a wealth of of, of information on a lot of this stuff. But yeah, Yeah. I mean, even to go back to a non a, a non DEI example, like, you know, my my people that I used to know at McKinsey, what, what I would surmise their job would be is they would go and they were all very fresh faced, uh, alpha kind of people. They, they'd arrive, they're all young. So, so you mm-hmm. already had this idea of young, new ideas versus old stodgy culture. It was already set up by the time that they got there, they would spend about a week there for ridiculous amounts of money, just obscene amounts of cash. Right. Um, and then they would make recommendations that were, intentionally so far beyond the pale of what a company would be able to do that they knew that the company would only be able to do the bare 10% of it. At which point, if things went better, they'd say, well, geez, 
that's how good it went with 10% change. Imagine if you had done the right. other 90. If things go right. bad, it would be like, well, come on. You guys only did the 10% change. What you should have done is totally overhaul your business. Uh, and that, to me, is all consulting. And 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 the, the worst thing about what, what's happening in your situation is, is that like for whatever good could be done, and and this whole conversation has made me uh, very much rethink even the ideas of where uh, these conversations were when I was in high school and uh, and I was in college. Like, because I don't even know if necessarily the ideas of like, oh, well, every every subsection of humanity, we, we should have a group and kind of sectionalize and, and balkanize them from from the general populace. Like, what is the right. difference between giving a a place where somebody feels comfortable and soft segregation. Like I, I, I have, I have, I have no idea if that was the right way to do it either, but I do know that there's really nobody to stand up. And, and, and if you are a, a consultant, you come in and you have a bunch of things and you have a bunch of recommendations right now, there doesn't seem to be a, a, a gigantic counter mechanism. If people don't think it's going right, except no. for the, the parents. And that's, that's what we're kind of seeing now. Yeah. I mean, if you speak up, you wind up talking to human resources. You know, it's it's got a kind of a, a witch hunt feel to it, a inquisition feel for anybody who objects to what's going on. Yeah. But I think, you know, more and more, you know, when people see their companies being segregated and having meetings for whites only, blacks only, this year, BIPOC, whatever, you know, they, they start raising eyebrows. Because Seems I think like most people... Yeah, it is racism. I, I think it's racism. <laughs> I, I, you know, let's be honest. I mean, you're, you're segregating people based on race. You're, you're saying things, you're making, you're casting aspersions on a whole class, you know, whiteness, white supremacy, like all, all you yeah. know, this, that, you know, white privilege. Oh, does my friend who, you know, is a baggage handler for the airlines, does he have white privilege? You know, tell me, tell me more about this. You know, but but it, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's a crazy time to me. I find it, I mean, it's fascinating. Uh, but I feel, you know, but again, I feel bad for the kids because I want kids to grow up in a normal environment. I feel like our school environment was normal. We weren't sitting there. We weren't uh, broken up into groups. I remember, I think one of the most popular girls in the school, her name was Zenobia, black girl, and everybody wanted to be her friend. Yeah. You know, so it's like, and, and I think nowadays this movement would actually think that that's a bad thing. You know, and, and, yeah, and that's what I, I, it bothers me greatly. I think that there is an assumption and, and this is one of the, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know if I've really thought to the end of this, of this, this particular string yet, but like there's a lot of assumptions that the baseline or the average experience for society is all of society. Yes. Uh, and, and part of that is human. I think part of it is amplified by larger conversations on the internet where we tend to amplify kind of either pole of like, here's the worst thing that you have ever heard in your entire life. And here's the greatest moment of my, uh, of my, my human experience. And we some somewhere in the middle tend to think that that's the case when in reality, our own experiences for which we were all, we all cherish and we all, it's all we have. It is literally our understanding of the universe right. is all over the map. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, it might average out to that, but we have no relation to the average. And and so if we're making rules or making enforcements based on, let's assume it's even an accurate average, like that, that is going to be moderating everybody's experience. And, and I think that that, that is painful. And I would say for anybody 
who is who is on that side, uh, it, I think it's politically fraught, if not untenable. I, 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 you know, when when I when I looked at that audience and and I saw a bunch of people. And by the way, Glenn Youngkin was thirty minutes late because he did a Hannity spot, and it was freezing, and it was on a school night anyway. So it's like, yeah. and nobody left. It was a one lane road coming in and coming out. So if anybody wanted to leave, they could leave. Uh, uh, as soon as everybody was there, they all stayed there so they could boo uh, uh, the the head of the the national teachers <laughs> union. And it's Jeez. like, all right, if that's the case, if that's yeah. the case, then there then you know something's rotten in the state of Denmark. It, it does seem to me that the teachers unions are starting to lose some of their democratic support. You know, I think there's a there's an element yeah. uh, you, you can see it at least on social media, which is life. No, uh, but you yeah. can see you know you can see people starting to get really upset with the demand for school closures and and moving the goalposts on a regular basis, but then going back later and saying no, I never we never wanted to close the schools that kind of stuff. It's turning yeah. people off. I think that that the reality of any kind of public sector union is that things are complicated. You wind up mm. having fraught relationships with people that are in government. Uh, and the difference is, is that normally the Democrats would always kind of cover for them because that's, that's their ticket to say, we care about kids more is right. to say we support teachers. Uh, but they haven't exactly been the most popular people lately. Like, you yeah. know, there's, and, there's and it, again, it comes back to the kids. Yeah. You know, if you're not treating the kids right, you, the parents are going to come after you. And that's exactly what's happening on both fronts. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, thank you so much yes, for sir. taking time out of your day to uh, 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 chat with us. It is it is always appreciated. Can I plug my podcast? Please do. <laughs> Questionable material with Jack and Brian. Go get it. Now. Did it. Did it. I know that we're going to get a lot of email uh, if if the last episode that Brian Sack was on uh, to theyoungamerican at gmail.com. But if you would like to let Brian know that he is a, a welcome part of this show, then uh, go ahead and hit him up, px3guest.com. If you got negative things to say, send them to my email. If you got positive things to see, say go say them to Brian. We 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 want to we want to make sure that we 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 honor our guests. Oh yeah. Anyway, so don't be me. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. This show was edited by our boy Brett Stewart. Uh, a little bonus here for you at the end. We had an interview this week on on Wednesday with Elise Gould of the uh, Economic Policy Institute, wherein she talked about the gigantic loss of jobs in the public sector, many from education. Well, Matthew wrote in, I'm a tech guy at a small school district. I've had conversations with people at all levels of my district on the difficulties of the 2020 school year. Here's what I see as the reasons why so many in the public sector have left. And I'm going to add editorially why many have not come back. There are teachers and other staff that simply refuse to get vaccinated. In my state's case, that means you can't work at a school anymore. Schools are the quote-unquote safest places for children, partially because it's a controlled environment where everyone's supposed to wear a mask. If a teacher or staff doesn't wear a mask, the worst thing for them is that they could be fired. If a kid doesn't wear a mask, the worst thing is that the school can expel them. Either of those being an issue on such a seemingly small thing 
is a plus one frustration. As the years have gone by, staff, students, and everyone are getting tired of keeping up with the mandates, especially masking in school. Masks are still required in schools. Everyone is experiencing COVID fatigue, another plus one in frustration. Since the lockdown started in the second half of the school year, that second half was really difficult for teachers. They had to learn how to teach completely different. Then the 2020-21 school year came, which either continued distance learning, had kiddos in classrooms with new distancing rules, or both in a hybrid situation. Either way, it's another new problem for these teachers, another plus one in frustration. As far as substitutes go, uh, substitutes are hard to find because that job also kind of sucks. Unreliable hours, short notice, random teacher descriptions. But with the COVID school guidelines, if you have one system, then stay home. Don't come to work sick, keeping teachers in homes more often. Subs are in higher demand. High demand, same or more or less supply, means we need more subs. Bus drivers are always in need, and they are probably, and this is Matt's point of view, less likely to comply when it comes to mandates because while teachers might tend to lean left, bus drivers tend to lean right. Meanwhile, these kids have only grown more wild in the one to two years of unstructured environments. They talk back more. They're behind on where they're supposed to be educationally. And that can reflect badly on teachers in schools. And then you have the fact that teachers that were ready to retire before found a big reason to do it when COVID happened. He wraps everything up. When a person goes into teaching, it's because they love to teach. While all teachers would gladly accept and even fight for more pay, not many teachers became teachers to be rich. They did it because it was fulfilling. And now every, everything is less so. So why not take up that $20 an hour more job somewhere else? If you're not the breadwinner in your family, why not just stay home? Rough out there. Salute to all the teachers. Salute to all the service industry people that are dealing with a rougher job. And even if you're getting a little bit extra pay, I don't think it's commensurate with what uh, society has put on you. All right. Uh, if you would like to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. If you would like to hit us up on Twitter. It is at px3tweets. On Twitch, it is px3live. Our newsletter, which is infrequent, can be found at px3newsletter.com. Our podcasts can be shared at px3podcast.com and our merch is at politicsmerch.com. If you would like to support the show financially, but don't have it in the budget to do anything on a subscription basis at takepoliticsseriously.com, you can always hit us up with a one-time donation. paypal.me slash payjury, P-A-Y G-U-R-J-U-R-Y. Misspelled my own name. Venmo is Justin-Young-20. Cash app is PX3Cash. And anything physical in the mail can come to P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, the only way you can get our bonus content is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets that and your name read at the end of the program like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier. 
Idris Arslandi and DJ Katie Mack, Meister, Dr. G, Lord Scale, Dequince, and Ile, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicery, 70s TV salesman, Spy, D. Really, and vote for Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please, Dot Com Junkie, DP4 Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Diana Scathing Scowls, Double K Ranch, Ye Old Pinball Shop, John, Snuffies, Off Route 44, Super Zoomy, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Miranda Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Richard, D-Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, The Gen, J-Pink, and Andrew. Want to join their ranks? Only one place to go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And that'll be it for us this week another week in the books rapidly closing in on 1 12th of 2022 already biden year two has begun midterms are cooking love it i'm so excited till next time this is your old pal justin robert young saying some shows talk about politics others talk about politics and still more discuss politics but this this is the only show that dares discuss Dog and Pony Show Audio.